Gotcha. Now we know who's really running Australia. Fight back. And breakthroughs in the fight to save essential services. Coming up on today's show. Welcome to the Citizens Report for the 25th of November 2022. I'm Elisa Barwick. Joining me today is Citizens Party Research Director Robbie Barwick. Welcome. Thanks, Elisa. On today's show, we're going to be talking about how the banks have just intervened to scrap legislation that was set to go through the House, important legislation to keep the bankers in line. And then we're going to talk about uh, breakthroughs that you have and others have achieved this week in Canberra in um, getting our inquiry into... Yeah, we, just got, we just got back from the centre of power where, in reference to the first headline, the, we, we found out who really is the power uh -huh. and Australians have to really, you know, see it for what it is and take it on. So stay tuned for a full report on that. Now, don't forget to hit the like button if you get something out of this show. Subscribe and hit the notification bells and we'll, you'll get an uh, alert about new content on the uh, YouTube channel. And share this as widely as you can. Comment below uh, to keep the conversation going. Uh, now, before we get into today's topics... Yeah, just, rem just remind people, and we'll, we'll, we'll keep reminding people until the deadline passes, uh, there is an inquiry into ASIC. There's actually two inquiries. This was, this was the subject of some mirth in our meetings in the parliament. Two inquiries into ASIC, but we know the one headed by Senator Andrew Bragg has a deadline of the 3rd of February um, in terms of, of uh, when people need to have their submissions in by. So spread the word. We've got to, we just need to get all those people who have had these bad experiences with the regulator as a result of, of becoming financial victims, right? Um, you've got to tell your story. We, this... This is a very, very serious inquiry. The committee members, I can tell you, I've, I've heard their feedback. They want to get on top of this issue. They know that, that, that it's, when you have a regulator that doesn't regulate, the system can't work, right? And you've got to be able to um, enforce the laws that, that get broken, and ASIC doesn't do any of that. Mm. Does, if it doesn't even investigate them, it can't prosecute and enforce the laws, right? So if you've been a victim of that, if you know people who are, and there's a lot of demoralisation out there. People think there's been lots of inquiries, etc. Well, I can say I haven't seen as much um, actual intent to get to the bottom of something as this. So make sure you put in mm. your submissions. And, of course, it relates to what we're about to talk about, Yeah, Elisa. because whilst the banks do have a, a lot of control still, there are chinks in the armour. And when you see where you see and identify those chinks in the armour and there are MPs that are willing to force through a shift and make that chink into a massive you know, yeah, whole, yeah. you've got to take advantage of it. So yep. we, we've got to do that. Now, to that control of the banks. Gotcha. Now we know who's really running <laughs> Australia. Fight back. If there was any doubt, it was removed this week. And if you don't, and if you don't see it, you've just willfully got your head in the sand. Mm -hmm. So this is in relation to a piece of legislation, the Financial Accountability Regime, uh, now, this is part of a host of various legislations that's been, you know, wafting around for years since the Hain Royal Commission that's meant to clamp down 
on abuses of the banks that have you know, ruined so many countless Australians. And in regard to this particular piece of legislation, the Greens had put up an amendment to include over $1 million, like $1.1 million, million you know, fines on bank CEOs in particular. So not just the yep. bank as a whole, which they can easily pay out and move on, but the actual bank CEOs would be liable for those fines. So the current status is um, banks are crim bankers are criminally liable if they personally steal money from the bank or if they conspire with other people to personally steal money, do something... If, there's, if they breach the criminal laws, they're criminally liable. But there's a, what came out repeatedly at the Royal Commission was the type of offence where things like fees for no service or charging dead people. Bank executives knew what they were doing, right? Now, they're not personally making the money for it, put it in their pocket. That's going to the bank's bottom line. But that bottom line then fattens their, profit, their, their bonus, right? And they get to... If they're looking the other, even if they're just looking the other way, not even conspiring, if they're looking at the other way um, and their bank is profiting from something and they're profiting through bonuses, they, instead of the bank being hit with a fine, which is coming from the shareholders, mm. the people who own the banks through their superannuation funds, and not the people making the decisions that it's causing the mess. So, and because they're well paid, they're bankers, these must be hefty fines, right? That was the whole point of this. Um, legislation to inject that and it was recommended by the Morris think about this Elisa Scott Morrison and Josh Frydenberg recommended it in January 2020 hmm. to the two biggest bankers boys ever to be in the f <laughs> shamelessly devoted to the banks they put they voted 26 times to protect them from the Royal hmm. Commission but they knew after the Royal Commission something had to change hmm. and bankers had to be subjected to these basic um, accountability measures right and then the bankers started lobbying heavily. Uh, the current financial services minister when he was in opposition, Stephen Jones, he supported the measures. Everyone supported these measures until the bank lobby got involved. Mm. And it came to a head this week in a mm. remarkable way. So what? just to set the stage for what happened, um, so in order to get through a bunch of different pieces of legislation, which is, you know, a usual way they get a bunch of things through all in one go. But the Labor Party needed the Green support to do that. Um, and in order to get the Green support, the Green said, we want this amendment yeah. in that financial accountability regime bill. We want these $1 million fines for bank execs. There's a lot of horse trading in Parliament, right? And we're going to say good things about the Greens now. So I want to preface it and balance it a bit and say something bad about them as an example of horse trading as well. Because Senator Jared Rennick and a few other senators like Matt Canavan put up a, a resolution called the Order for Production of Documents to make to demand that the, the government's contract with Pfizer be made public. Because Pfizer's made a stack of money out of Australia with the vaccine mandates, right? And I think that if any company, private company, does these privileged contracts with the government that they make a lot of money from. They lose any right to commercial confidence. Public, right? yeah. They should be public. Full transparency. So Jared Rennick and a few others put that up. It lost by one vote because the Greens sided with Labor against it, which means the Liberals who signed the contract actually supported the resolution, mm. the, the order. But the Greens sided with Labor on that. And that's inexplicable why the Greens would do that because the Greens know that 
corporate transparency is very important. It was a very, very bad thing they did. And I, I can, I don't, I'm not an insider, right? I can only assume it was a result of horse trading. They did some, you know, something in exchange for that. So that's, the, that's what happens with horse trading in politics. In this particular case, mm. so that's bad, bad Greens. <laughs> this particular case, it was the Greens who were doing the right thing. Mm. It was the Greens who made this, you want this, yeah. you have to put in civil penalties for bankers. And they got a deal. Yeah, so the Labor Party said, okay, we need your vote on X number of other things, we'll give you that. And there was a deal that was done, or so the Greens and everyone thought. Well, hang on, can I read the headline out that on that? The, the, the night, uh, the Wednesday night, this was the, this was the headline in the Sydney Morning okay, Herald. yeah, after the deal was done. Yeah, November 23rd, million dollar fines for dodgy bankers. Okay, yep. Banking execs will face fines of up to $1.1 million for failing to take reasonable steps um, to prevent systemic misconduct in a, in a significant strengthening of the laws introduced in the wake of the Hain Royal Commission. And that was reported as a done thing on the Wednesday night. Mm -hmm. So yesterday, <laughs> there was a slight change of tone and the Australian Financial Review, Review reported... Have you got the headline there? Well, I'll do the Sydney Morning Herald okay. one first. Same reporter, yeah. 24 hours later... <laughs> So, Rebecca, Rachel Clune, we'll put these headlines up on the screen. Million dollar fines dumped after bankers raised legitimate concerns. That was quick. And then the, the Sydney Morning Herald one, the, uh, the, sorry, the Fin Review one. Yeah. Let's just, let me just find that. And so, this is a quote from the um, AFR after we... Yeah, banks... Oh, this is a good headline. Mm. I'm glad, yeah. Banks force Labor rethink on $1 million executive mm -hmm. fines. And I want to, this, is the, this is the banker's newspaper, the Fin Review. Mm. They couldn't disguise how blatantly the banks flex their muscles in this case. Banks force Labor rethink on yeah. $1 million executive well, fines. This is, this is a quote. Banks have forced the Albanese government to put off the vote on a bill to lift accountability in financial services with Labor now rethinking a last-minute deal with the Greens that would have added million-dollar fines for law-breaking financial service executives. It went on to report uh, that Stephen Jones had calls from the Australian Banking Association Chief Executive Anna Bly <laughs> and from other reports... Uh, we know that the CEOs of the big banks yep. and had a Bly calls being, in as well. And a Bly being a former Labor Party politician mm -hmm. herself. Um, and the AFR went on to say that the, the banks uh, said that Labor's, the deal that Labor had made was a big surprise to them because there were promises um, that Labor would not shock big business with surprises of any kind. Uh, and it says that some lenders were concerned that fines could make it more difficult to hire senior executives and may increase risk aversion with banks still finding their feet after the Hain Royal Commission as individual executives seek to avoid running foul of the tougher laws. I mean, just... <laughs> like, you've got to... If you're watching this, take to heart what this means. These... Bankers are so arrogant mm. in their status, their privileged status above the law, mm. protected by outfits like ASIC. They're so confident in their status, their privileged status, that they're just, they're happily saying there, we put a premium on recruiting executives who will break the law mm. because they make us the most money. And you're going to make that hard with this kind of law. They, had no, they don't care that they show how shamelessly dishonest they are. They don't care about that, right? 
and and the I mean it's good it's in the film review, but they kind of report it as a as a fatalistically that this is yeah. just the reality. Yeah. Right? Everyone should be saying what? Bank executive the banks are in this paper saying, we get to break the law, stuff you, get out of our face. That's what they're saying. Mm -hmm. When are we going to wake up and do something about this? While they're subsidised <clears throat> by the taxpayer <throat> to the tune of what did Martin North's report say? Six? Well, we played the video a couple, uh, last week or the week before of Senator Jared Rennick at Estimates mm. getting the banks to, the, the Reserve Bank to acknowledge that it gives the, it lends, it's lent $180 billion or something to the banks at 0.1% and 0.25%. And those banks... They're getting a lot more money if they if they invest in the like they lend it out at commercial rates of five or six percent, but even if they don't do that, they mm -hmm. park it back with the Reserve Bank at three percent. The Reserve Bank is charging them zero point one and then paying them three percent. <laughs> that is free money, and on the amount of money we're talking about, one hundred eighty billion plus dollars, Martin North has calculated, it's a it's six billion dollars pure profit mm. to the bottom line of the bank shared between them. Six billion dollars pure year. profit. Per, per, year. per year, $6 billion pure profit per year. Just a total gift from the yeah, Australian people to these banks. Take this, we don't right? expect anything in return. No, nothing. And, then, <laughs> and on top to of keep, that... Don't have to keep your bank branches open, which are losing mm. you money. Look, Elisa, there's four companies in Australia. Think about the privileged status of the banks here. There's mm. four companies in Australia which are not allowed to go bankrupt. CBA, NAB, Westpac and ANZ. They are not allowed to go bankrupt. They are too big to fail. The government will prop them. The whole world knows the Australian government will prop them up. Mm -hmm. So they already have that status. They get the free money we just talked about, given to them, right? They are above the law when it comes to fines and they get to dictate the laws as what, as, as what happened this week. Anna Bly calls them up and says, you're not going to pass mm, that. Mm. Yeah, because, of course, they're at the same time funding the major parties, as we've also spoken about if, in recent shows. I'll tell you what's happened. If anyone has ever seen this, the great movie, Christmas movie, It's a Wonderful Life, old mm. black and white movie, what's happened is George Bailey has died. <laughs> we are in the second half of that movie where the angel shows George Bailey what Bedford Falls would have looked like if he didn't exist. And Mr. Potter, the banker, runs the town and owns the town. That's Australia 2022, and it's been that for progressively for 40-plus years. Mm, watch it at Christmas. Um, so Assistant Treasurer Stephen Jones was cited. He, he had a quote that the AFR ran. He said, we will be consulting broadly about what we need to do to resolve the outstanding Hain matters, including this financial accountability regime legislation that they've just taken off the books and compensation scheme of last resort. The Greens have made it clear they won't support the bill without those amendments in relation to the uh, financial accountability regime, so we'll just pull the bill. So they're going to consult, which means, oh, we better check with the banks. We were a bit hasty here. And what will happen, what, what will happen is they will, the consultation process will, will drag out into next year because it's supposed to pass. There's one more week sitting in Parliament. Mm. They won't get up next week. Um, and then through that consultation process, they'll eventually get, they're thinking, well, if we're not going to get the Greens vote, we'll get the Liberals vote. Right, because they are also owned by the banks and we'll get this through that way. Now, Senator Nick McKim from the Greens called this um, breaking of the deal, you know, which he said we shook on um, a disgraceful move. He said the minister has clearly cracked under pressure from the big banks. 
reneging on the agreement shows that he values the interests of bank executives over bank consumers. That's the bottom line. And he also said, because Stephen Jones, who we've had a... I mean, Stephen Jones' name is going to go down in infamy the way this government is going, right? We've had to take a lot of shots at him in the last 12 months, starting with the Sterling First mm. issue. He lied to them before the election, saying that they would be included in the compensation scheme of last resort, which, by which the way, was one of the bills this, wrapped up in this, this batch of them. Um, uh, we're going to talk about more in a second. That, that, you know, the, he gave the green light to the banks to shut down regional branches, mm -hmm. right? And now he's done this. And Nick McKim... Uh, and then because Jones is denying that they had an agreement, um, Nick McKim is saying he's, un if he's denying that. We had a handshake. He said he's unfit to be a minister. So we'll be putting a press release out on this today. So what do we want our viewers to do? Well, you know, we're going to, we want people to... There's, today's Friday. Parliament's sitting. You're going to be watching this on the weekend, though. There's one more sitting of Parliament next week, right? Next week, we want wall-to-wall -wall calls to Labor members of Parliament and National Party members of Parliament. Now, we want to be constructive in the calls, though. I mean, sometimes it's time like this, you're just tempted to call up and blast them, mm. saying, you... You, why are you selling out? Why are you such sellouts to the banks? More importantly, we're going to need what we need people to do is call the the senators, Labor and National Party senators, and say you must support the motion we're about to talk about. Okay, yeah, right? right. So which is for a a, um, a an inquiry next week that includes mm. the postal bank. But yeah, definitely incorporate your outrage at what we've just yeah. discussed into yeah, those. Yeah, you calls. tell them you're angry. Yeah. You tell them you're angry. I mean, there's a fine line. The, the, phone, the, the phones are answered by staffers, mm. right? So you, what you want to do, you can't take it out on the staffer. You, you make sure the staffer knows, though, to pass on to the, to the Member of Parliament, the Senator, how angry you are, mm. right? And we're going to have Stephen Jones's name on there as well and Jim Chalmers. I mean, you've got to be prepared to make a bunch of calls next week, mm. right? Every call you make, we can set this building alight with phone calls, Right, um, and I mean that in totally lighting up the switchboard. Lighting up the switchboards, you know the beautiful music that when I walk down those corridors and you hear the the phones ringing on it, every in every office as you're mm. going past, um, nothing like the citizens' party to melt the phones down. That's what we've got to do next week. We're, the Australian people have to direct a withering blast to that building, saying if you're going to sell out to the banks, you're going to hit, incur the wrath of the Australian people. Yeah, you won't live but it down. But we've got to make it constructive, so listen to what we're about to yeah. say. Yeah, so on the second topic, breakthroughs in the fight to save essential services. So as we just talked, as you just mentioned, um, the regional banking task force, which the last government put through just before the election... Well, well I want to... Yep. Sorry, preface. Imagine if we were right now reporting that every health clinic outside of major cities in Australia is about to shut down. Every single one. Mm. Um, that's an essential service and we're going to shut it all down, mm. right? Or any other equivalent essential service you can think about. 20 years ago, a parliamentary inquiry defined banking services as an essential service. Yeah. Right? And it, and it has a lot of flow-on effects. It's not the same as <clears throat> not being able to go to a doctor. It's, not, it's a little bit different, but... Over time, the long-term mm. implications are just get just as serious, um, and of course, it's and the towns wither and die, and that's why you don't attract doctors out there. As, you know, so it has a, that sort of flow-on effect. That's what we're talking about now. Yeah. So, so the government put up this regional banking task force to look at the closure of banks, yeah. but it was before the election, and it was just you know something that was thrown out there. 
in an appeal to get votes and They've so They've done forth. nothing for nine years in government. Yeah. So desperate to lose, knowing they're going to lose the election. It was a big issue. Yep. You know, they raised it. Uh, what it ended up being was a vehicle. If you look at the actual final report they put out, uh, and you can go to Dale Webster's website, the we'll, regional. We'll to put get a link it. to her latest article below. Yeah. People should read it. Yeah, because you'll get, you know, rather than having to read through the whole report. But if you do read it, if you flick through it, what you see is that at every opportunity, the report advocates that, um, oh, well, if bank branches have to close, no matter, because we have bank at post. You know, yep. you can go to the post office. So all the way through, that is a theme. Oh, just leave it to bank at post, right? Um, let the banks who are losing money over branches, you know, do what they want to do and we'll pick up the slack and the taxpayer will pay for it. So that was the green light, that report, for a wave of bank closures, 72 since that point. Last week, we reported on the show that Senator Jared Rennick um, put out, sorry, I should say, um, Martin North and Dale Webster um, put out a letter to um, the... Rural and Regional Affairs and Transport yeah, Committee of the Senate. That's right. Uh, so they were demanding an, a real inquiry, what the yeah. Regional Banking Task Force should have done. Uh, and then we sent a letter in, res in response, you know, supporting that. We're going to get, uh, there will be other agencies that will do the same thing. So there's a big push to have uh, a serious inquiry to look at these bank closures. And just before we go into that and the reactions to and building support to that that you found in Canberra, um, I wanted to also mention that this is where Senator Jared Rennick comes in. Uh, he put out a statement in Parliament, he made a statement in Parliament this week on one of those bank closures in particular, yes. which is the case of Coobapedi, which we've talked about before on the show. Um, and this is a, a blatant example of the damage it does to rural areas because this is Westpac Bank is shutting its last branch in February. The last uh, bank in town, people have to go 500 kilometres or so to get to the nearest actual bank branch. Uh, and so let's just listen to the statement that he made from Parliament this week. Senator Reddick. It is an issue of national concern that the major banks are abandoning communities across Australia at an accelerating rate, announcing the closure of 72 branches in regional communities in just the last six weeks. Branch closures strangle communities economically, socially and mentally. One of those is Westpac's branch in Coobapedi, the last bank in town, which Westpac is closing in February 2023. This is a major blow to the local economy, which is based on opals and tourism and is heavily dependent on the Westpac branch for cash. There is no alternative to cash in regional Australia, especially remote towns like Coobapedi. The next closest bank is in Port Augusta, 540 kilometres away. Westpac is telling local businesses that require cash withdrawals to use bank post at the local licensed post office. Except the problem with this is, is that it isn't equipped to handle large volumes of cash. It doesn't have the same security and the bank's restrictions on cash withdrawals through bank posts restrict local commerce. Westpac, Westpac didn't even inform the post office directly that it's leaving. Westpac and the other banks enjoy enormous public financial support. They should repay that support by maintaining banking services in the communities, in the regional communities. It's bad enough that maternity wards and many other essential services have been closing in regional Australia. Now regional towns are losing their banking services. 
This is why we need a government-owned postal bank to provide banking and insurance services to regional centres and small businesses. A postal bank can act as a bulwark against the cartel-like behaviour of the big banks. Now, um, in addition to that, bringing this issue, this, this is really beginning to become a big issue for the locals, but it's, it's being discussed everywhere as emblematic of what's happening across the whole country. So uh, on the evening on the 21st of November, the town of Coobapiti held a town meeting because this is a crisis. Uh, Martin North actually participated in that by Zoom, and you can see a video um, of his um, account of that. That was really important. Um, a video on our postal bank was also shown yep. at that event, which was the one that goes through the seven benefits of having a postal bank, which was received very, very well. Um, there was coverage in the Adelaide Advertiser on the 23rd of November of this you know, being a very serious issue. We'll put that up on the screen. Uh, and you did a, a radio interview on ABC Radio, Regional Radio 2, on the same day, the 23rd of November. Because what they were interested in, Elisa, is that the electorate of Grey, which is one of these very massive electorates in Australia, the biggest, it's most of the state of South Australia. Um, Dale Webster's figures show that since the high watermark of regional banks branches in 1975, that one electorate has lost more banks than any other electorate in Australia. 80, more than 80% of their banks have shut, um, mm. and she called it a banking desert. Mm. Um, I, I, I quoted her on that uh, interview. And so it, it's, you know, the, um, the, the, the media, especially the local media, see the, the impact of this, right? That's where the rubber meets the road, and they're starting to uh, pay attention. So that was actually good coverage. And because of the, that coverage, the local Member of Parliament, um, the Liberal Member of Parliament for, for Grey, Rowan Ramsey, met with us in Parliament this week. Mm. Yes, yeah, so you had a host of meetings on this topic in Canberra, and you know some of the reports we got back were you know quite exciting. You see the momentum building... We had, you know, an MP call us who hadn't, we hadn't made an appointment to meet and they were, they'd gotten wind of what was happening and yep. wanted to find out what, you know, how they could be a part of it. Um, we had Bob Catter describing a town meeting again, a crisis meeting of sorts in, in his electorate. In Mareeba, yep. On similar issues and a great um, amount of excitement at the discussion that came as a result of his son, Robbie Catter, putting forward the Postal Bank solution. This yep. is really resonating with people. Um, we had an MP's aide recounting the bank closures that she'd seen in her area. So you've got people that are really connected to this and also reporting that they'd had a steady stream of calls from our people coming into their office, which is good, keep it up. Um, and, um, you know, even a government member of parliament horrified that his party had rubber-stamped this regional banking uh, task force. Look, uh, when we get to go to Canberra, you know, sometimes it's once a month or so for the parliamentary sitting, every time I do, you see the enormous progress that comes, not because we're so persuasive, but because um, what we're trying to do is get the citizens of Australia to take responsibility and stay engaged in the political process. And that constant engagement, the you know, hats off to the people who watch this show and when we say make phone calls, send emails, you do. Because that constant engagement is what gets their attention, right? And you can you can start to see, you know, I get to participate in meetings where we see, hey, we can, we can um, apply pressure here, we can influence there. And half of the job, Elisa, is educating mm. 
the members of parliament yeah. who don't know anything more than the average person, I can tell you. And they're very right? busy, so they don't no, have time to look into anything that might catch their no, eye. Of course, so you're educating them on, on all these matters. Now, the real issue, though, was we were building support for this inquiry that Dale Webster and Martin North called for in their letter because the inquiry has a sting in the tail, right? And that sting in the tail is a provision in the terms of reference to also look expand the inquiry into looking into the case for a government bank to operate through post offices. Mm. And if the Senate... So there's a mo there should be a motion put up next week. The, the, um, the Rural and Regional Affairs and Transport Committee support... The members of the committee, the six members of the committee, they, the committee, or at least the majority of the committee, support the need for an inquiry. They want to do it. Mm. This, is, this is the Chairman, Matt Canavan, people like Senator Jared Rennick, the Greens, Wish Wilson, etc., um, Labor's going still. They actually want to do it, but it's going to have to be passed through the through the through the Senate. The motion's going to have to be passed through the Senate, and the banks are going to look at that provision. <laughs> well, first of all, the banks are going to hate the idea of an inquiry into regional Absolutely. bank closures because they just rigged an inquiry. Yeah, this is the real inquiry. Yeah, they're going to they're going to say you, we just had one. Yeah, you rigged it. Eight of eleven members on the task force represented banks. Yeah. We want an inquiry that's not bankers looking into their own their own actions and saying this is fine. We want a real inquiry, right? So the the, the weak need members of the major parties are going to have to take that on, right? But it's so shameless. So I'm hoping we'll actually be able to do it. But then when the banks see the idea of a postal bank is going to be looked at, a government bank, the only thing they can really that can really force them to compete because there's a lot of these, there's a thing called the customer owned banking association and customer owned banks. There's a lot of them. They are no threat to the banks. They, they, they operate at a niche level, right? And good on them, right? Love them. There should be more of them. But they are not a threat to the banks. They, they, they are not a competitive threat to the banks. That's why the banks don't care about them as they're shutting down all their branches. The only thing, if the banks woke up one day and every post office in Australia, put the map up, Ben, every post office in Australia, all those dots mm -hmm. were a bank that you could close down your account at, at NAB or ANZ and you can go and open up a, an account at a government-owned bank where all your deposits are fully guaranteed, you can get low-interest loans, etc., right, mm -hmm. full banking services, they will have a fit. But it's the best thing for them. Now, on the other hand, we all know, because we've talk been talking about this for years, that post offices are under huge pressure. Oh, they cannot make ends meet, and yet we're throwing everything on... The banks, by shutting their branches, are throwing everything back onto them. Now, remember, we ran a huge campaign to defend Christine Holgate, who had signed this extraordinary deal to force the banks to pay for something they were getting for free, that yep. they could run bank services at the post office and use the post office staff to do it all for them for nothing. Yep. Christine Holgate did the deal of the century and forced them to pay $20 million a year um, for that privilege. But... After she was turfed out and the deal was redone and revisited, they paid far less. I mean, it was a miracle that even survived at all, I suppose, but they paid probably half as much. We know they cut what they paid. And uh, the question, because that's commercial inconfidence, no one really knows the ultimate figure. Yeah, well, we, well, the reason we know it's commercial inconfidence is because I put in a freedom of information request. Mm. And I was told, you're not going to be told how much the banks agreed to pay to renew the deal because that's commercial inconfidence. But in 2018, Christine Holgate announced, and the banks then, the banks did not care in 2018 when Christine Holgate announced to the world that all paid, well, three of the four had paid mm -hmm. $20 million each. Nothing, nothing confident, in confidence about it. 
this time. And so the only explanation for it being commercially incompetent is because they, they smashed how much they're prepared to pay. Mm -hmm. So that was so, raised in Parliament. Yes, Pauline Hanson from One Nation raised it this week and we will have to wait and see what they come back with. They'll answer this question but, on notice. But watch the video. When you do, we're going to play the clip of, of this. So in the Senate you get this. It's a little bit ridiculous, I reckon, sometimes. But you get a question and two supplementary questions, right? So um, Pauline Hanson, Senator Hanson, used that to ask this series of questions to, the, to Senator Murray Watt, representing the Communications Minister. Now, he's not the Communications Minister. That's Michelle Rowland. She's in the lower house, but he represents her. She's the minister responsible for Australia Post, right? That's why, that's why Senator Hanson asked her, um, Murray Watt the question. But right next to Murray Watt was Senator Katie Gallagher, who's the finance minister, who is also responsible for Australia Post because she's, she's one, what they call one of the two shareholder ministers in Australia Post, right? It's, it's, it's um, the communications minister and Katie Gallagher, the finance minister. So watch Katie Gallagher, the, the, the straight blonde-haired woman, the finance minister, watch her reaction when Christine, uh, sorry, when Pauline Hanson starts to ask the question and gets specific. Just watch that because it's uh, clearly a reaction <laughs> that made, I looked at it and thinking, I'm not sure she knew about what Pauline Hanson's raising here. Mm -hmm. Now, let's play the clip. Senator Hanson. Minister, the Minister representing the Minister for Communication, Senator Watt. In 2018, Australia Post CEO Christine Holgate secured a deal with the CBA, NAB and Westpac to pay $20 million each, each every year as a representation fee for Bank at Post to serve their customers. Will the minister confirm this fee has been halved in the new agreement to $10 million a year each? Thank you, Senator Hanson. Minister Watt. Uh, thank you, President, and thank you, Senator Hanson, uh, for that question. I'll have to take the precise details of that question on notice. I don't, I don't have that information to hand, uh, but uh, I know that many Australians right around Australia, particularly in rural or regional areas, depend very heavily uh, on Australia Post services, uh, and that's something that we very much support. We, we for instance, stood very much against uh, the— Senator well, Rennick. Ah, Senator Rennick gets a go. His own side won't give him a go, so he's got to have a go during Senator Hanson's question. Um, the, um, so what I was actually about to say prior to Senator Rennick's interjection was that Labor has always stood against the privatisation of Australia Post, for example. Um, but the nature of Australia Post services is changing over the years. I know that they're increasingly moving towards parcel services rather than postage. Um, but they do provide a vital service to rural and regional areas in particular, uh, as well as servicing our cities increasingly with the parcel uh, business that they have op been operating. Uh, but Senator Hanson, I'm happy to come back to you on notice with the answer to your specific question uh, as soon as I get those details. Senator Hanson, first thank, supplementary. Yeah, thank you very much, because I appreciate that you don't know the, the answer to that, but I have been told on good advice that it is $10 million a year. Now, a lot of these, uh, local po these post offices actually rely on that money that they're making from that $20 million a year that was getting made them viable to actually um, uh, you know, keep their doors open. So the banks are making billions of dollars profit a year. If this is the case, if they have actually dropped it to $10 million a year, what will your government do to address this? Thank you, Senator Hanson. Mr Watt. Um, thank you again, Senator Hanson. Um, obviously, 
a number of these types of matters are ultimately decisions for the board of Australia Post rather than the government of the day, because it does have a degree of independence. However, uh, we are concerned uh, about the number uh, of outlets that are available, particularly in rural and regional areas. And I know this is an issue that you've taken up in the past uh, on the, uh, Senator Hanson. Um, currently, Australia Post, uh, for instance, has about 4,300 retail outlets across the country, and it has a le legislated met requirement to maintain at least 4,000 retail outlets. And as I was saying, I recognise, and I think everyone in our government recognises, that these post offices play a key role in communities around Australia. Uh, and as I've already reflected, th this is particularly true in regional Australia, where often you find that it's the Australia Post outlets that also serve as the banks uh, uh, um, and a range of e even of government services as well. So um, I know that uh, these you, are Senator issues. Watt, your time Thanks. has expired. Senator Hanson, second supplementary. Thank you very much. Um, I don't know if you're aware of this, but since the beginning of 2021, more than 200 branches of the big four banks have closed or have been announced they are closing, mostly in regional areas, with customers shunted to bank at post um, outlets. What is your government go to, going to do to counteract bank closures and lack of staffing happening across the country, mainly in rural and regional areas? So is the government actually going to start addressing this and pull the banks into line that they must provide the service um, Thank that's you, necessary Senator to Hansen. Australians? Your time has expired. Minister Watt. Um, thanks, President, and thanks, Senator Hanson. I think we're probably straying outside uh, the, the responsibilities I have as a representing minister, let alone as the minister, so, um, but I'll do my best to answer the question. Um, again, I, I am definitely concerned about the decreasing number of branches uh, that we see in retail banks across country areas in Australia, and I guess I particularly now see that, uh, that through my role as the Agriculture Minister. Uh, it was only last week that I was in uh, rural—I'm pretty sure the conversation happened in South Australia—about the impacts of bank closures uh, in those communities, and it places real pressure uh, on those communities when they can't uh, access those services. Actually, I remember now it was Maureen I was having the conversation. Um, so, the, um, so it is a problem. Um, I think banks do have a community obligation to provide services to their customers, uh, and as we see those banks withdraw, that does also put more pressure on uh, Australia Post outlets, and that's, I know, what the fundamental point you're trying to make, but I'll come back to you with some more answers. So there you go, Elisa. They don't know. I mean, Murray, mm. so, so what we have now is the, the Senator Murray Watt will take the questions on notice, and th that means they have to provide written answers to mm. Pauline Hanson, right? Yeah. So that's good. And they will either tell the real figure or they will say it's commercial in confidence. And then if they do, Senator Hanson will hopefully go back and make the point about why wasn't it commercial in confidence in 2018 then. But then we have to see, I'm just dying to see what, I, I, I can't interpret it. But Senator Gallagher reacted like she did uh, for a reason, mm. right? Because this is a scandal. You know the worst part? The by by taking less money, and a senator senator's aide told us this that Australia she had called Australia Post this week, and Australia Post representatives admitted to her they didn't get enough money out of the banks, and now Australia Post, which has to operate commercially, is under pressure to keep its post offices open. So you've got a perfect storm developing here. You've got the banks mm. through the Regional Banking Task Force gave themselves the green light to, to, to mass close regional branches with the assumption is they'll be able to push all the customers onto the post office and you've got the, pre the pressure on the post office. The po Australia Post is, is circling around a toilet bowl. Yeah. I can tell you. To shut them down. You will have 
no banking services and essential service out in regional Australia if those two come together. But what is the perfect solution? We are offering them the Mm. perfect solution. Mm. I saw one senator, it's basil and tomato. This is so good. (laughs) There's a match made in heaven. Postal service with 4,300 branches, banking services that regional Australia is crying out for, put them together. The, the, bank, the postal service means the banking services can be provided cheaply because the post office is already there. Mm. And the banking services means the post office get all the revenue it'll ever need yeah. to maintain its branch network. What's yep. not to like? It's good for absolutely everybody yeah. except Anna Bly and the four executives of the big four banks. Stop them! <laughs> and it, it solves the problem of having these private banks getting $6 billion of free money a year. Yeah. I mean, are they having to operate commercially? On the other hand, Australia Post having to operate commercially, it has to show a profit and yet being slugged by the banks to do all their work for them. Um, now, I wanted when, to... When, it's so, when the solution is so clear. Yeah. No, that's right. Because I wanted to raise the you fact... You get so angry. ...that um, when the Commonwealth Bank, which used to be a government bank, right? So when it was a national bank, a bank of the nation to create the funding and the financing to build Australia, when that idea of the Commonwealth Bank was just a twinkle in King O'Malley's eye, in 1909, when he stood up in Parliament and spoke for five hours with some interjections, but, you know, nonetheless, a five-hour speech, and he was describing... They changed the rules after that, by (laughs) the (laughs) way. They had to. (laughs) Um, he was t- describing, and it's an amazing speech. We'll, we'll put a link to it because people might be interested in going and having a look and scanning through. But if you don't want to, it's not going to take you five hours to read it, but it'll take you a couple. So if you don't want to read it all, you can uh, contact us for a copy of our alert service. You can subscribe to it. We've been summarising it in the last couple of issues. Um, so he was describing, though, the system of private financial control over Australia. I mean, he goes into great detail about the burden... Um, that um, allowing private banks to control interest rates creates on producers in this country, you know, the exact impacts that it had. But then he starts to talk about regional areas and small towns. He says, no one will deny that the managers of the banks can make or break a town. Honourable members must recollect how during the crisis of 1893, small communities were made to suffer by the closing of banks At the present time, a few men in the great cities could earmark every pound they lend and have telegrams sent to the country banks saying, stop discounting for a few days, when the producers and traders of Australia would be crippled. They would be told by the bank managers when they had obligations to meet that money was tight, although there might be more money within the control of the banks than ever before in their history. Um, And he went on to say that the Commonwealth is big enough and strong enough to loan money to producers and business people in times of stringency with the certainty of averting loss from itself instead of bringing loss on itself. So it would make the country stronger in the end. And he described the alternative system that will put us beyond the possibility of going as beggars to the shareholders of this private of private banking corporations which controlled the whole box and dice. And further, he described um, the air of calm serenity that would come with the certainty of producers knowing that they could invest, arrange for overdrafts and not suddenly be left in the lurch, that is, businesses and enterprises could function adequately. Uh, and he described that his Commonwealth National Postal Banking System, 
which would be based in the postal banks, um, would allow wealth, instead of accumulating in the hands of the few, to be distributed among producers. He said, agriculture, manufactures, inventions, sciences and the arts will flourish in every part of the nation. Those who are now non-producers will naturally become producers. Products will be owned by those who perform the labour because the standard of distribution will nearly conform to the natural rights of humanity. Yep, that's the visionary who gave us the Commonwealth Bank. He had it from July 1st, 1912 to mid-1996, 84 years. That's the norm where we've been in a 24-year twilight zone. Aberration. Right? Banking, private banking apocalypse. And it's, and it's gutted this country, absolutely gutted it. And we need to go, you know... And the Labor Party, this is a Labor MP, chiefly yeah. Curtin, countless examples we've talked about on the show... Uh, you know, they have to be held to this standard. Well, I want to end with a public um, safety warning, Elisa. Uh, and this is, no one else is going to announce it. The ABC's, you're not going to hear it. But if you're, in, if you're in Bathurst, in New South Wales, and you feel a rumbling in the ground, an earthquake, that is Ben Chifley rolling over in his grave today. That's what you're feeling, right? So hang on to something. You're going to feel it. Because that's what's happening. One of our greatest prime ministers who stared the banks down mm. on behalf of the people of Australia, defined what Labor took on, defined the Labor attitude with the banks, is rolling over in his grave today because he's yeah. weasels. Well, there's never been, there's never been, and we've documented this exhaustively, there's never been more foreign interventions into Australia than since King O'Malley made that speech and brought that bank to reality. The interventions of you know, elite financial yep. banking groupings into this country um, were phenomenal. So the, for, the fight that we've brought to Parliament this week that numerous senators and others are bringing up and that if this quarry gets up next week is going to raise, you know, we are bringing the fight to the level um, that it needs to be to transform this country yep. for the future. Yep. So that's about it for this week. So... Um, look for our uh, media release. It'll be at a link below. Monday morning, hit the phones, send emails to the people we identify, especially all the Labor Party and National Party senators in your state. Yep. And contact us for more information. Thanks for tuning in. Thanks, Robbie. Thanks, Lisa. See you again next week. Authorised by Robert Bowick, Citizens Party, Melbourne.